0: Hello and welcome to KanoDrin's Sound of Play 184. <laughs> Wednesday in Sound of Play, we bring you some of our and your favorite pieces from the mini video game soundtracks we've enjoyed over the decades. And that first intro track was one that I've been wanting to play for a long time now, but we've always tried to shy away from from licensed tracks, uh, tracks that would incur the wrath of, um, of, of license holders around the world, would potentially try to take legal action against us. And you know, sometimes it's not always in the spirit of video games to just play my favorite guitar hero ACDC dc songs, um, but uh, we found a handy workaround, and that is by uh, by recreating this track in a thoroughly video gamey style um, to introduce this track and the rest of the tracks on the show. I have our special guest may know him by the name Windmills at Dawn, uh, but is our uh, our friend from the community, Craig Wendell, Is that the proper pronunciation? <laughs> that is the proper
1: pronunciation. Thank you very much for Great. having me. But I kind of feel more like an accomplice to your crimes now than, <laughs> than anything else. So, uh,
0: Yeah, certainly. You've contributed in the past, uh, notably, uh, I would say, in um, Sound of Play. Ooh, gosh, I should have come prepared with a number. The, uh, the Halloween special that we just did. It was either six
1: one 170. I can't quite remember. It was, it was the
0: even ones. That's right. Yeah. I think it was 170. Yeah, that sounds right to me. As we just uh, we put off the second half of the Smash Bros. special to make room for Halloween, as we always have fun with that one. And you contributed a few tracks to um, a kind of original compositions or at least remixes of um, usually poppy and cherry video game music and turn it into a spooky and dour sort.
1: Yeah, that which was great. I him. really liked. Yeah, and for those who haven't listened to it, it was a quiz kind of format. So. Guess what song this is in a spooky kind of style. Yeah, that was a lot of fun. I was—I think I owe an apology to Darren Gargett because at one point it <laughs> sounds like he was in physical pain from trying to recall one of the songs. So sorry, Darren. But yeah, that was. I think great fun uh, to work on he it.
0: got pretty trigger happy with some of the guessing. So <laughs> you know, he got excited. He jumped in quickly, and then when he realized what it actually was after hearing a few more notes, then he was. Of kicking himself, but uh, that was a fun recording, yeah, and made all the better by the original contributions from the community. If you haven't, uh, listeners, if you haven't checked it out, uh, please go and do so. It's, um, I, I think it's a real treat. I really like to hear something kind of bespoke and original on Sound to Play every once in a while, and that is exactly what we're hearing today, mm,
1: yeah, definitely.
0: So, uh, you're introducing a a project that you are um, kind of contributing to. Uh, why don't you take us through, you know, what was the inspiration for uh, this KickBlips project that you're uh, working on? KickBlips
1: is a chip tune tri- tribute to the Tony Hawk Pro Skater games. If you talk to anyone about Tony Hawk's Pro Skater, one of the first things they'll bring up is the wonderful soundtrack. Mm. It kind of caught lightning in a bottle, and I think one of the reasons for that is that age which many people approached it so many kids like myself grew up on the nes super nintendo and then when playstation came around that was just the time when we were turning teenagers we were really getting into music it was getting a bit tribal almost so you kind of wanted something a little bit more adult and a little bit more that spoke to you and then tony hawks came along it was a really good video game and on top of that had all these great bands, great tracks of the kind of music you were getting into. So it was a big, I think it was the right moment for that kind of game for a lot of uh, people. So I think it's resonated with a whole generation. And this project Kickblips. this was organized by 3X Blast and Donut Shoes. Uh, I th- think it was 3X Blast put the shout out on Twitter, other, uh, other areas. Hey, do you want to come? Who likes Tony Hawk's? Who likes Chip Tunes? Let's put them together. Let's make a tune tribute to Tony Hawk's. Set up a Discord. And I think that was September, either early September or late August. And by December, we had 18 tracks album out, out there. All the licenses fully paid as well. So uh, no worries there.
0: Oh, interesting. Is that something that you have to do for a cover?
1: If you want to sell it, I believe, because this is available not just on Bandcamp. It's on any music service you can think of so like the mm-hmm. apple store google play spotify it's on all those uh, services uh, so i th- i wasn't involved in the license, licensing issues but it was something that that was done which is very much appreciated and yeah it's a brilliant album it's very very although it's all chip tune, it's also very diverse in that it's not just uh nes style there's there's one that sounds very much uh, like a Genesis Mega Drive sound. There's ones with, uh, with vocals uh, like Gorilla Radio that has some amazing vocals on it. It was a great project because in the Discord, everybody was so supportive. Uh, people would put their tracks out for comment and critiques and everyone would be really supportive and also offering advice saying, oh, maybe you could do this at the end. Maybe you could change this. Or if you had any problems, you could go and ask the community. So it was a really nice little project to to get together. And it was all passion. Everybody just really enjoyed making chip tunes. Everybody really enjoyed those songs. So there was no fighting or anything like that. It was just mm-hmm. smooth sailing all the way through.
0: Was there some, um, I don't want to say fighting, but uh, any kind of multiple people trying to call dibs on the same track?
1: It wasn't necessarily fighting, but you would, there was a page to claim the song that you wanted. Mm-hmm. You would go check. And there was sometimes a case of, ah, someone's beat me to it. But there was no ill will. It was just first yeah. come, first served. And then there have been some some of the tracks have been more than one artist working together. Mm, right. So that was a nice uh, nice touch too.
0: That's cool. Well, of course, the track that we came in with is going to be familiar to anyone who's played the game. And I don't know if it was because it was maybe the the best song in the soundtrack or maybe a track that... Um, was maybe unfamiliar to people beforehand and they Mm. came to associate it with the game. Maybe it was just the fact that it was included in the nearly ubiquitous demo uh, of the game that uh, so many people played before coming to the game that really solidified their perception of what the game was. This was uh, Superman from uh, originally by Goldfinger, which, um, you know, just listening to that chiptune cover yeah i'm still tempted to sing along with the lyrics and everything yeah. i'm pretty good with the lyrics but i you know it's been a long time since i've heard it so there's a little bit of guesswork in there
1: yeah it's it is essential tony hawk's song so if you think tony hawk's ask someone name a song from that soundtrack nine times right. out of ten it's going to be superman and boy uh, so that was done with by boy without batteries and that is an amazing cover it's not just that it's faithful it's also its own thing so it doesn't shy away from being Chipped tune either, so that's mm-hmm. really I really like that one.
0: Yeah, that has a very interesting sound to it as well. It's um, it, especially the instrument um, that was pulled in to represent the lead vocal is a lot harsher than what I would usually hear on an NES, and it gives it this really kind of distinctive tone.
1: And also something about this kick, this project is that there's mm. a game involved with it, so it's not just an album. Mm, right. So that was that was created because uh, it's difficult to get people to listen to your stuff if they don't know who you are. So you, you might see on Twitter people saying, hey, listen to my new song. And if you mm-hmm. don't know who that person is, you're probably just going to scroll past it. So the uh, 3X Blast and Donut Shoes decided to make like a visualizer. So they were going to have a guy going on a skateboard, and that would be on YouTube. So it would be something to watch whilst you listen to this song. Mm-hmm. They create, from what I understand, they created that, and then after a while they thought, this kind of looks like a game. Let's make this into a game so (laughs) so it's that is free to download on ichio or ichio however you pronounce that and it's essentially a endless it's not an endless run it's an endless skater and you can get a high score and as you're doing that the album will be playing in the background so it's kind of a playable album so which is very nice touch too i think that's the first time i've heard of something like that
0: yeah that's really cool I mean, obviously, you have a personal history with the Tony Hawk's Pro Skater series. Just out of curiosity, how far down that rabbit hole did you get? Because there, you know, those games continued into the Xbox 360, PlayStation 3 generation. There were board peripherals that were put out. There were um, um, entirely separate uh, entries for a lot of the handhelds mm-hmm. early on uh, that were kind of isometric even.
1: I kind of topped out after uh, tony hawks 2 and i don't think it was any kind Mm. of comment on the quality of the games it's just after i played i played one and two on the playstation three at that point i was very much into the gamecube and i didn't have Mm -hmm. a ps2 and for me tony hawks always felt like a playstation game even though it came out for everything it's it's always been a playstation game for me after three four came out all the side games came out, which have their own timeline. I'm quite sure what's going on. Uh, I kind of just looked at, looked at it from afar and I, was, I think I was just too busy playing other things. But as they often say, it, it's not you, it's me. It's just not really what I was into anymore.
0: Yeah, sure. That's interesting. I mean, obviously, um, you know, a lot of people consider Tony Hawk's Pro Skater 3 to be, you know, one of the high points of the series, mm-hmm. if not the kind of, ultimate pinnacle uh, before it started getting a little bit crowded with extra stuff. You know, it was mm. just a really nice distillation. They added the revert. And so you could really continue your, your chains all the way through the levels and um, in a way that you couldn't in the first two a very interesting series with a lot of mechanics that I, I would venture to say went on to inspire many developers in the future. You know, it was a really early and really, um, really satisfying distillation of a satisfying group of mechanics that all work together really well and uh, just have an excellent game feel. And uh, we have talked extensively about Tony Hawk's Pro Skater series in Kino number 241. If you want to go back and uh, listen to our opinions on that, um, you can hear uh, the actual Superman by Goldfinger in that one as well. Of course, it has to, has to be. But anyways, we will circle back to uh, learning more about this project and more about some of your own personal work that you've done in video game music. But first, I wanted to circle back to some more music. Uh, let's listen to something that uh, feels like a nice tangential uh, relation, you know, in a way. It has a little yep, bit of yep. skating elements. It has some of that kind of gamer culture bright colors and everything. So uh, why don't you take us into the second track that you've picked out for us?
1: Yeah, this is Humming the Bassline by Hideki uh, Naganuma from Jet Set Radio.
0: Yeah, so uh, what was it that made you want to uh, pick this track of all of them on the soundtrack? It's kind of an acclaimed soundtrack. It's got radio right there in the title, which oftentimes when uh, developers put musical terms in the title, it's because they have something musically to say.
1: I really enjoy this track. It's the menu isn't it it's been a long time since I've played Jet Set Radio it's one of those tracks that when you listen to it it instantly takes you back to the game (laughs) Uh, and there are lots of other great tracks on that soundtrack there's a few different ones between the US and the the European version uh, but I can't quite remember off the top of my head which ones they are I think it has a very the game as a whole has a very similar feel to uh, Tony Hawk's but in Mm -hmm. a Kind of through a different lens. So, as you said, it's a bit more cartoony. The music also a bit more cartoony. And it also feels more gamey. So, Tony Hawk's a lot, it has its game like elements. So, like collecting the letters and doing strange things. Some of, the, uh, some of those levels are based on a skate competition, whereas Jet Set Radio, it's about running away from a murderous police chief. So, right. it's, it's a very different take on skate culture. Just as nice.
0: That's very cool. Well, this is Humming the Bassline by Hideki Naganuma from Jet Set Radio. <laughs> played a little bit of Jet Set Radio in the past, uh, I, I kind of missed the Dreamcast. And so mm. I um, picked up a lot of the games have been remastered and yep. up on on PCs and sold at a very cheap rate. Um, and, you know, it was one that I went back to, I believe they came out with an Xbox 360 version and yep. an HD yeah remake uh, later on and gave it a shot, uh, you know, but uh, have not spent enough time with it to be considered an expert. But um, it is interesting and memorable. Uh, It definitely has an identity of its own.
1: Yeah. And I think Jet Set Radio Future hasn't been reissued. And I don't know, maybe it's tied up with rights to Microsoft, because I know that was Mm. a big push for the original Xbox. So maybe Microsoft owns a funded part of that. I'm not sure what the issue is, but they've reissued Jet Set Radio many times, but never uh, future. I'm not quite sure what's up with that.
0: There are a few of those Dreamcast, well, what you must assume uh, must have been Dreamcast sequels that were eventually, uh, that eventually made their way to Xbox. Um, yeah, yeah. And uh, Shenmue 2, of course, as well. Yeah. And, um, you know, with how similar the Xbox controller is to the Dreamcast controller, the, um, the, the large one anyways, the Duke. Um, yeah makes me really curious what the kind of shared lineage was between the two consoles because it can't all just be coincidence. And I'm sure that there's stories to be told about that. I'm I'm sure that people know as well. I can can probably look it up, but it's uh, something I've always been curious about and an interesting progression there. Yeah, definitely. When we uh, were scheduling uh, this, you, um, you know, we had to pick a, a very peculiar time uh, to do the recording. Uh, we I usually do my recordings very early in the morning to catch all of my uh, British friends uh, kind of late in the evening over there because of the eight-hour time difference. But we are separated by a much longer time difference because you are currently in Japan. So, uh, not that you need an excuse to be over <laughs> there, but like, what's uh, what's up? How, how are things? Yeah, things are pretty good. Uh, today is setsubun, which
1: is... A festival where demon, mm. so uh, the oni kind of demon, try to get in your house, and you throw beans at them, and apparently that <laughs> that does them away. I love
0: it. That's that's great.
1: Yeah. So um, over here I make music, but that's more of a part time hobby. More I do get the occasion, I do get freelance work, and I get paid for that, but it's not enough to live on. So on day to day, I work at a kindergarten, uh, teaching English. So they're very cute, and they work very hard.
0: So. Yeah, it's, it's, it's a nice place to be. Very safe. Why are demons have such an aversion to beans in particular?
1: <laughs> that I don't know. <laughs> I, it's, it's one of the things you just, it's, you tell the kids. If the demons come, you throw beans at them. There's something you say You essentially translates to demons go away, happiness come in. So you, mm. uh, and you also have to eat a, there's a certain kind of uh, sushi roll that you eat this day which is a very long sushi roll and you have to eat it in the right direction. I think this year it's not oh, interesting. I think it's northeast. Mm. I- I'll have to check that. I've, I've got I went to the supermarket earlier and I bought one. So I've got that ready for me later to bring me luck. How is your Japanese? Um, not as good as I'd like it to be. So <laughs> uh, it's kind it's kind of tough because I go to work to teach English. Mm. So all day mm. I'm speaking English. And then when you come home, it's very easy to get distracted. And if you're looking on the Internet, you can very much easily do that in English these days. Uh, yeah. My wife is Japanese, but she speaks wonderful English. So, again, I get very lazy and speak English to her. Uh, but, yeah, it's, it's something. It's coming along. I've, there's a test you can take, the JLPT, which one is the best you can take. I've passed three just recently uh, failed to but only buy four marks so okay. it's an ongoing process but uh living in japan you can watch tv for practice there's lots of yeah. lots of very very cheap manga you can buy so and i struggle. well i say i struggle through games but it's becoming less of a struggle as i go on so that's nice
0: yeah that's really cool i only really have a uh, passable grasp of one language and you know, just words here and there and others, but I'm always envious of those who, you know, it's one of those like genie wish scenarios mm. where if I could just know other languages, then I would love to, but that's, I always feel like it's such a long road to get there. It just feels daunting.
1: That's the kind, that's the thing. It's, uh, it's like writers. Many writers mm. don't like writing. They like having written. So yeah. many <laughs> language learners, the language process, there's a lot of repetition and it can be kind of dull at times. But at the end, the process, the, what you get at the end is uh, great. It can be frustrating because language learning isn't a linear process. So you may get incredibly good in one aspect and then someone asks you something that you haven't studied for. You're not familiar with the language oh, and yeah. be completely lost. And that can knock your confidence as well. But yeah. it can also work. Into your advantage because there's, if you can specialize in something, uh, then you can get a job from that. So there's, I know some people who, their Japanese is good, but their medical Japanese is amazing because they've studied that Mm. specifically so they can translate and interpret for doctors and uh, people who don't speak Japanese who are in hospital. So that is in demand. And usually you end up hearing the same kind of things that you probably wouldn't yeah. use in day-to-day life. So you wouldn't use the word blood clot in day-to-day life. In a hospital, you might use that four or five times a week. So it's mm. it's not a linear progression, but you can also use that to your advantage to get really good at a specific point.
0: That's interesting. I never really considered... The segmentation of of language, obviously, we start with things that are segmented in a way like, you know, Mm. where's the restroom and how much does this cost and stuff like that. But uh, to specialize to an advanced degree in a very specific branch is a a good idea. Mm. In the time that you've uh, been in Japan, have you had any encounters with the uh, Japanese video game industry?
1: Uh, I've done a few game jams. So Mm -hmm. it's a global, I did the global game jam two times. And for those that don't know, it's essentially you have a weekend to produce a game and you go to a center and meet lots of, uh, you meet other people who are doing that and get put into small groups. So maybe four or five of you in one group. It's, you're not expected to make Final Fantasy VII in 72 hours, but it's more proof of concept and it's less about fleshing out ideas. It's more just having an idea and doing that. And in the process, I've because it was at a university. Uh, some of them were university students, but some of them were teachers. So Tangent. Uh, I can't say that word. <laughs> so I've mm-hmm. met some. I have met some people related to the games industry in that way, but mm. not. I, I'm not. I'm not best buddies with Koji Kondo.
0: Not yet. Sure. <laughs> well, I'm sure one of these days. <laughs> You'll never know. That's right. If he uh, starts brushing up on his Tony Hawk's Pro Skater, which I'm sure he's been meaning to get to, this backlogs, you know.
1: So the prefecture I live in, Fukuoka, the, game, the biggest game company here is Level 5. Professor Layton okay. is from Fukuoka, from where I live, and the local soccer team, they play in Level 5 Stadium. So if, <laughs> if I were to meet anyone, it would be it would probably somebody from Level 5.
0: Oh, that's very cool. Yeah, sometimes you don't really get a sense of like where all of these things, especially with uh, Professor Layton, which has such a strong, I want to say a, a British theming to it. So, you know, he's kind of it, depicted as a accented gentleman.
1: For me, I, I'm from the UK. And for mm-hmm. me, it is the Japanese version of French animation portraying England. So yeah, there we go. <laughs> it's when I see Professor Layton, it For me, it feels very French, but then mm. sometimes it's set in London, but it still feels French to me.
0: I always got a sense of that as well, but I thought it was because I the only Professor Layton game that I played was the Miracle Mask, I believe it was, and that one does have a... I have a circus theme and so it incorporates more kind of traditionally French Mm. instruments like the accordion and stuff like that. But I thought that was just a part of the circus theme. But I guess um, aspects of that kind of run throughout the series then. More the kind of
1: village. So the first one is a mysterious village or curious village. I can't quite remember which. uh, But Mm -hmm. that kind of village and also the character designs feel quite French
0: Mm -hmm. to me. This is, of course, an entirely <laughs> side tangent, but I'm just really fascinated by this kind of thing. I love these types of uh, explorations of where ideas come from and how they're uh, shaped by the cultural lenses and yep. all of that kind of stuff. Uh, but, anyways, let's let's get to some more music. Yeah. Um, you've brought a uh, a game that I'm uh, not familiar with, actually. Yep. Um, what is Time Lord? Time Lord is an NES game, which for me for a
1: long time was kind of my white whale Mm. you see on youtube people talking about nes games they talk about mario they talk about zelda metroid the big hits and for the longest time this was a game that i played when i was a kid and then we sold our nes i didn't know what it was so i couldn't remember what the name of the game was i just Mm. remembered that you were time traveling because i could remember there was a sci-fi part a fantasy part in my mind you were getting these eggs it turns out there were white orbs but yeah Every level was a different time setting, but getting those orbs was very obtuse and kind of strange. So sometimes I would be able to get the orbs to appear, sometimes I wouldn't, but you would need them to complete the level. So for a long time, I didn't know what this game was called. I just had a vague memory of it in my head. And then one day, somebody on YouTube, I can't remember who, was playing it. And I watched it and I had a eureka moment of, that's the game, (laughs) that's the game. And then looking it up, it's very strange in that it was published by Milton Bradley, So MB Games, who are more famous for board games. But the developer was Rare. Now, this is not on Rare Replay, probably because it was published by Milton Bradley. Mm. And looking at the videos, it's not my... uh, I'm quite pleased to say that it wasn't my fault that I couldn't progress through the levels, because getting those Mm -hmm. orbs is very, very Weird. weird. So as a very young child, I could not do it, and that's okay. But also watching those videos... You're struck by how good the music is, and then you look up, see it's developed by Ray, see it was composed by David Wise, and everything clicks into place. And this main tune is very short, but it has some great textures, great layering, amazing beat and melody. So yeah, it's, some, it's a game that people don't really talk about. It's not, that, it's not that great of a game, but it is part of Ray's history, and the soundtrack is astonishing.
0: That's very interesting. I'm a big Rare fanboy, and uh, this one had entirely passed me by. I'm mm. sure I would have uh, got something out of at least a soundtrack, because uh, David Wise, of course, of the Donkey Kong Country series most yeah. famously, and still doing Donkey Kong music to this day, among other things.
1: It must be nice to be remembered so fondly for something, but he he is a great composer, so to be known as the Donkey Kong guy it must be a little bit frustrating at times, but yeah, he's a good guy.
0: Yeah, well, you know, the Donkey Kong country soundtracks have a real mood and atmosphere all their own, so, you know, he kind of entirely owns a mm. certain space, and uh, I don't think there's many composers even who can who can say that so definitively.
1: You can describe something as a David Wise-like sound and people will know yeah. exactly what you're talking about.
0: Yeah, they kind of like... Uh, spacey synthy with um, you know maybe the sound of dripping water over it and some nice reverberating keys Uh, love it not quite sure when the chord changes
1: are coming you know they're coming soon (laughs) but you can't quite grasp it
0: (laughs) it's great but of course he has done uh, recently he scored snake pass and did the the best track in ukulele (laughs) Um, really some excellent work even uh, this even though so many years after 1990, composing Time Lord. So let's listen to this the main theme of Time Lord, composed by David Wise, back from the NES. <laughs> Course, a chiptune that is uh, also of your specialty. You mentioned before that you had done some some video game musical work as a hobby. Uh, Why don't you um, kind of introduce us to, uh, of course, listeners of Sound of Play will be familiar with. Uh, at least the talent that you possess, if not the particular pieces that you've composed before. So uh, why don't you, uh, yeah, just, what is your history with writing music and video game music in particular?
1: Yeah, so I write under the name Windmills at Dawn. I mostly do chiptune uh, chip work, So, and I mostly work with Famitracker, which is an NES-based, uh, working within the limits of this NES. And sometimes I work with the uh, expanded chips. But I... Started working with this about two and a half years ago. I was on Sound of Play when I just had released my first EP and did work with my first game, so that was very great. And since then, without really advertising that much, I've just kind of been working on things I like. I've been putting music to lots of podcasts, uh, working on on 8-bit remixes of uh, songs I like. And without really... Advertising much. Every few months, I get a message saying, "Hey, could you write music for this?" One person I've worked with quite a lot is Liam Edwards, who has been on Sound of Play before. He's uh, he has the Final Games podcast, which I did the music for, and Dad and Sons podcast. And he also makes games. But like many people I talk to, he's a one man band. So he does the graphics, he does the programming. But when it comes to music. A lot of people don't have the confidence or even know how to know where to start. So, you might be able to hum a tune, but actually putting that, having that tune make sound like music, mm-hmm. having accompaniment, a lot of people don't even know what program that would be. So, that's a lot of times I'll work with people who are in that position and I'll offer my services. And I've worked with uh, Liam a few times and on one track he did. Uh, he made a game called Salaryman Suzuki, which is about a salaryman man uh, from Japan running, trying to get to work. I did music for that. In early September, he sent me something he was working on in a game maker with simply, what do you think you could do? So that was the whole message. He didn't say, hmm. I'm making this game. Just sent me a file and said, what do you think you could do? It ended up over maybe a month and a half, two months. Uh, I ended up giving him music for that track and also sound effects for the game. And it's all came together, and that's free demo on Ichio. Uh, it's called Flitspire, and it's really, really good. Uh, it's a kind of Castlevania-inspired game, uh, but the sprite works a bit more cartoony, so it's more Kid Dracula than Castlevania. So it's kind of it's spooky rather than scary. And for the soundtrack, mm, yeah. I kind of try to do the same. So similar with the covers I did for Sound of Play Halloween episode. You have to err that line between spooky and scary. So if you go too scary, you end up with Dead Space. If you Mm -hmm. go too lighthearted, you end up with the Monster Mash, which, no disrespect (laughs) to the Monster Mash, but it's not quite right for every game. Mm -hmm. This next track, we've got uh, the levels theme from Flitspire, and this is a kind of funky, spooky track, kind of inspired, taking inspirations from Castlevania, those kind of games, and this plays as you're playing through the level, and I think it worked out really well. And also with that spooky kind of theme... You want to give yourself room so you can up the ante later on so this soundtrack is available on my Bandcamp. you can play the game and you can see the boss track is a lot more epic sounding a lot more dominating so you want to give yourself room to make it bigger later on
0: wow very cool uh, let's go ahead and listen to flitspire level theme by Windmills at dawn from flitspire and learn more about that afterwards mm. mentioned uh before we listen to the track kind of leaving room for it to to grow into a boss piece what, what what does that mean to somebody who's not uh super familiar with composing video game music
1: if you listen to that track it's quite light-hearted mm-hmm. you can kind of see where it's going but it's it has still an element of happiness to it whereas the if you go to the if you listen to the boss track later on it will sound a lot more angry there's less room to move along, move around. And it's kind of... It's hard to explain, uh, but it's, you essentially want to take out those lighthearted parts right. of the song. So when it's progressing and when you're fighting the boss, you think, oh, it's go-to time. This is, this is what I have to do now. Whereas before you can... In the level, you can kind of go about at your own pace. You can kind of... It doesn't really matter if you miss a shot. Whereas the boss you have to try and make it sound like this is important now
0: Uh, so much of video game music like uh, film music as well i mean any Mm. kind of music is all based around themes and about around uh recurring motifs and stuff but you know video game music is specifically iterative because there's you know oftentimes you'll want to kind of vary what's playing based on uh, any number of actions that could happen that the player could uh could take sometimes even uh going inside of a building or diving underwater, the music will change. Uh, And uh, of course, for these bigger moments like uh, boss fights where you want the music to become more intense or um, maybe even a uh, touching character moment where you want things to kind of mellow out or fall behind dialogue or something. Uh, Is this something that you're able to kind of plan out from square one or do you come up with a tune that you really like, and then kind of think about how that will adapt into all these situations that you need to adapt it into?
1: It's a bit of both. So a lot of it, you'd come up with a tune at first or a chord structure that you really like, mm-hmm. and you develop that into something more. Uh, sometimes if you want to make it sound more intense, there are very easy ways you can do that, for, uh, which have a surprisingly large effect. So... If you have your bass line, if you drop it down an octave, it suddenly sounds—it's very noticeable, and it sounds much more menacing. Mm. Similarly, if you have your uh, melody and you put it up an octave, it sounds much more intense in that way too. So those are very simple ways you can adjust things. Uh, but also, something like the melody—you can create a melody with in a very basic uh, way, and then immediately after, add flourishes to that melody. You have to make the decision. There is the melody by itself interesting enough to progress, or do you mm. want to keep those flourishes? If the melody is interesting enough, those flourishes you can then save for later to make a more interesting reappearance of those uh, reappearance of those themes. But it is difficult because, as you said, it's ir- it iterative and often repetitive so you've got to want mm. to try and make something that develops but not too much because if it loops whilst it's developed whilst you've developed too much it may sound very sparse so you have to try and make that balance or if it's going to be sparse do it intentionally so so you have that contrast so it contrast is good so you can as long as it's deliberately contrasting it can be quite effective but it's a delicate balance
0: Every different mindset, I'm sure, than composers for pretty much any other medium would have to Mm -hmm. consider. So uh, before you got into this kind of NES family tracker type stuff and the uh, composing video game type of music, either for video games or just for, you know, the wider consumption and the style of video games, uh, did you have uh, musical training or was this something that you kind of figured out as you went?
1: Uh, a little bit of both. So, I, uh, from about eight or nine years old, I played the tenor horn, which then progressed to the French horn. And I was always good at music in school. I won't get too much into the British educational system. I did decently at my GCSEs and not so great in A-level music. So I kind of stopped there. I also uh, so that was the classical side of things. For but I also played guitar because I like that kind of music. Uh, mm-hmm. Which is evidenced by the Kick Blips project, that kind of stuff was mostly picked up from things online, getting a tablature of a song I really liked, and then just learning how to play that song and and thinking about what that the relationship of the notes that I think I'm kind of pushing those two thoughts together, so I have some music theory, but not that much, and with guitar, it's mostly just making it up as i go along so i kind of try and push those two ideas together when i'm making something uh and before i did chip tunes, i made a surf rock kind of album with my brother and just because we really enjoyed that kind of music and it didn't really it we didn't need to sing or anything we just it was all just about melody and having fun so that mm-hmm.
0: was nice very cool i've always really wanted to get into composing some stuff for myself but uh i don't know it just feels i haven't found my i haven't found software that really makes sense to me yet Mm. i played a little bit in uh in fruity loops just trying to teach myself the ropes and look at youtube tutorials but uh, it just feels like you know i hear something in my head and when it when it comes out on screen it just sounds terrible and uh there's so many little things you know you can you can whistle a tune really easily but then when you try to reconstruct it you realize that uh, you know whoever wrote it originally wasn't just doing uh you know they were alternating between three four and four four time and hiding miniature rests in between notes and things that you know do weird things to when you're trying to reproduce it but it's still really easy to follow as a listener and so you know, saw these kind of hidden intricacies that uh make it a, a bit of a daunting task <laughs> well it's
1: it's the same as drawing so if you have you can think in your mind the perfect I- image of bugs bunny get mm-hmm. your pencil and <laughs> it will come out wrong or you might get a pretty good one even but then you look at the real bugs bunny and it looks completely different and it's so much more professional but unless mm-hmm. you've trained in that kind of discipline it's very difficult to see why it's different you look and think well yeah that's Bugs bunny but why is it not Bugs Bunny? Yeah. So, it's the same with music.
0: Yeah, that's a good way of putting it. I like that. Uh, so we talked a little bit about your uh, classical training. Um, I think that a lot of uh, classical music elements kind of made their way into video games. Video games incorporated um, many aspects. I think eventually, at least in the chiptune era, you know, early on they took a uh, strong classical influence, sometimes uh, a lot of the times, actually in the kind of arcade and early NES days uh, just taking classical pieces wholesale and reproducing them on the, on the games. Um, but eventually they kind of settled into, I think more of a, more of a jazz influence. Mm. Um, you'll hear with the, uh, like super Mario bros soundtracks are very, very jazzy. And, um, you know, I think Koji Kondo's work in a lot of cases and, uh, a lot of the kind of early, because, you know, it's, it's, fun to have that kind of like swing and upbeat tempo and kind of mixes nicely with those uh, cartoony elements. But uh, even within video game music, even if after it kind of chose a certain direction um, there were still those who, who brought a very strong classical training into the trade. And, um, and so we're kind of uh, this next track is an interesting, you know, what was a classically trained composer writing video game music, and then kind of translating it back into a more classical sound.
1: Yeah, and and we're talking about uh, the great Nobuo Uematsu, which Mm -hmm. I'm sure has been featured many times on the show. And I think a lot of his work is very classically based. But I think it's also, it's something that can't be understated, the influence of prog rock on his work as well. Mm. So things like Dancing Mad, it's essentially, yes, it's essentially ELO. So these (laughs) and a lot of his work is very much in that prog rock vein and also things like craft work. So any electronic elements, he's probably going back to that kind of well. But I think this track uh, is very much in that classical uh, in that classical bent. It's from the piano collections, the Final Fantasy VI piano collections, and it was arranged by uh, Shiro Sag- uh, Sagisu. And I really enjoy this piano collection album because it really shows you what creativity can come from, limitations. So with, with chip tunes, the ones that I make, I'm limited to very few channels and the kind of sounds I can make. But if you listen to this next track, this is limited to what you can do with just two hands hmm. even with just two hands one instrument and one instrument that once you play one note you can't alter the volume it still pulls you and it pushes you as it's very light-hearted but also has moments of tenderness and it's there's a mastery in the dynamics and speed speed changes and texture and harmony in this track that you can really see what can be achieved with so little because. Uh, if you think of Final Fantasy music you often think of these vast orchestral pieces that are wonderful the way they are but these piano collections uh, albums really show you that if you pull everything back the core the core skeleton of these uh, of these compositions is is really really strong and just what you can achieve with very very limited abilities of what you can do.
0: Very cool that's A great description, I would say. Let's listen to Mystery Train by Nobuo Uematsu. Now uh, I, I noticed in um some of the uh videos of, of your own work. I don't want to say videos, uh the YouTube uploads of your own work. There's some nice bespoke pixel art to go along with it. Is that something that you're creating as well, or is that a, a friend of yours? Or you know, what is the where where's that visual element coming from?
1: Essentially, for those who haven't seen it, I've just basically put my logo with something from the game. And that logo was created by uh, Connor, someone or another. Sorry, Connor, I can't remember your name right now. <laughs> uh, but uh, I worked with him on two different games, and he was actually the fir- very mm. first person to buy my EP, and he probably doesn't know that. But uh, so I put my things out on Bandcamp uh, two years ago. I remember just before work getting an email from Bandcamp saying, Someone bought your work. And I thought, I looked at that email, not really sure what it was about. And until it clicked that someone had actually bought something <laughs> and i t- talked to him later and he had a game that he was working on and we worked to get uh, he asked for some music for that and it was about uh, shiba inu and he was fighting yokai which was very up my street so i made a japanese mm. kind of soundtrack for that this summer was he worked on a game called De- delivery time so he does the, did the pixel art for that and that's out on ios and android and it's a uh, pizza delivery platforming game and has wonderful little sprite art uh, sprite work and um, at some point I kind of thought I need a logo for my stuff so I asked him oh could you make me a windmills at dawn logo and he he obliged and I really like it so for my youtube videos it's i have some of my own stuff up on there my own pieces some soundtrack work and then also I have a playlist of remakes and uh, mostly 8-bit remix. one or two non so the kamiko theme from switch i did that mm. originally that was chiptune and i changed it to a full band version using japanese instruments so that was a very nice uh, very nice experience to do uh so so yeah that's uh, that's from that logo is from him
0: very cool i like that history i love Myself, some good pixel art. I've been playing a little bit of uh, Wargroove over the weekend. Oh, yes. Ah, good pixel art. There's nothing like it, <laughs> you, you know?
1: And speaking of Wargroove, if you enjoy the main theme, if you go to my YouTube channel, there's a, there's a remake of the main theme there. Which yeah, There the, we go. <laughs> which the, so I put that out uh, just before it was released, and the developers very kindly retweeted that, uh, tweeted that out on their main account, so uh, that was very nice of them. But I've been playing it all weekend, and it's been... Essentially, what I wanted from when I saw it back in the original (laughs) Switch presentation from a long time ago. And the dogs are the best, just the best. (laughs)
0: That's right. It was uh, originally slated to come out on uh, Nintendo Switch and Xbox One in 2017, but it didn't quite work out that way. But I think that uh, the extra time in the oven gave us uh, a game definitely worth having. So, you know, sometimes that's what it takes.
1: I don't know exactly what happens, but kind of get the feeling that after that original trailer, they got a very good reception from that and then thought, Mm -hmm. let's expand this because people are really excited about that. Or maybe somebody gave them money because uh, they thought people would be excited about that. So kind of get the impression that the excitement from that initial announcement extended the development time, but added so much more things.
0: And definitely there's... um... I'm sure there's an interesting story to be told there. Yep. I've uh, been working with the Chucklefish team actually to, um, oh, really? to promote their game through, uh, through my work at mm. Nintendo. And so, you know, I've been in touch with them and they've been uh, just absolutely uh, swamped. You know how it gets with, um, <laughs> with launch timing and, and trying to do a big worldwide release on yep. multiple consoles. It's uh they've got their hands full, but you know, bless their hearts, they're, they're having a good time and uh it's all smiles over there from what i can tell. It's getting some really good reception <laughs> as well so. Yes. Absolutely. They were thrilled by the uh by the reviews that they were seeing. Yeah. Um, I'm really happy for them. That's great. Uh anyways, let's get to a game that uh I, before last December i would not have recognized but of course uh there was a little nod to it. Well, sizable nod to it in uh, Super Smash Bros Ultimate. And so i have a passing very, very minute uh, recognition, anyway So, uh, why don't you uh, fill me in? Like, what is this uh, Joy Mech fight? So, Joy Mech fight is a fighting game for the
1: Famicom. Uh, fighting games on the Famicom all didn't really happen because, like, the Street Fighter trend didn't happen until the uh, Super Nintendo. So, it was a mm-hmm. bit before that time. And I think this was released in '93, so a very late Famicom game. And the only t- other times I've seen Fighting games on Famicom have been bootleg versions, so like a bootleg Street Fighter mm-hmm. or Bootleg Super Mario Kart Fighter, which I'm sure everybody played back in the days of Nesticle. So uh, but recently this game, Joy Mech Fight, in Smash Brothers Ultimate there's uh there's an assist trophy, which you might have seen mm-hmm. of he kind of looks like he's made of jelly beans. There's four or five jelly bean like reddish pink and called I think he's called Sukapon. Mm-hmm. He's in that and also recently, this has been added on to the Famicom online service. So the if you have Nintendo Switch online, you get a few games that you can play for the NES every month. And in January, there were three games added for the Famicom service, but only two to the American service. And that extra game was mm. Joy Mech Fight. It was a little bit annoying for american fans and european fans well at
0: least we got zelda 2 yeah you got zelda 2 <laughs> uh. but
1: at the very least if you make a japanese account you can download the japanese uh, yeah. you can download the famicom online service and even if you you got an online subscription from anywhere in the world it'll still be okay so you can still play the famicom versions or the nes versions so you can still play it if you have that subscription so it's the actual game Playing it, you can see it's very ambitious and it's a technical marvel. That you have these huge sprites of these big mm. robots fighting. I, from what I've played so far, it wasn't the most fun I've had. <laughs> it was kind of sluggish. It was a little bit... I might not have, it might be that I've not given it enough time, uh, but I mostly was impressed by the technical elements and mm. the soundtrack. So... The soundtrack to this game has great sense of voice and movement, and this track was from Robot City. Uh, is a great listen.
0: Very nice. You mentioned that the uh, fighting games uh, weren't that popular on the NES. Uh, they really kind of came to their own. I mean, first in the arcades and then uh, kind of super NES era when yeah. uh, fighting games really started picking up. Um, there were uh, quite a few... Uh, I guess, progressive brawlers back in the, those days. And that's kind of the uh, progenitor of what eventually ended up turning into fighting games. Um, but uh, yeah, you're right that, uh, you know, the real, you know, what we would come to understand as being fighting games in the modern sense um, were uh, few and far between at that point.
1: So if you look at screenshots or video of this game, it looks far more like Street Fighter than Battletoads.
0: Yeah, very cool. It is Robot City by Hideaki Shimizu. Some of their newest work now. Um, why don't you uh, go ahead and jump into this next piece by the previously mentioned Koji Kondo?
1: Yeah, my best friend Koji Kondo. So yes, this is <laughs> so this is from Mario Odyssey, and I and Nintendo have really been knocking out of park with all these Switch soundtracks. So like Zelda Breath of the Wild soundtracks, amazing uh, Mario Odyssey, Smash Brothers Ultimate, and. That, the last one, Smash Bros. Ultimate, a lot of people are talking about the breadth of the soundtrack, which is breathtaking. But also the music in it is really, really good. And the original works that aren't even based on anything else, they're also really great. But this one so, is from uh, Bowser's Castle's Courtyard. Mm-hmm. I was very surprised at what they did with Bowser's Castle in Mario Odyssey. Ch- they changed it into a big Japanese castle with all the enemies being very japanese style mm. and the music is obviously very related to that so it has a the rhythm of this track is a very much of a japanese festival which makes sense because it's about bowser and peach getting married so it's uh it has re- and you have banners saying congratulations uh in in japanese and you have the rhythm playing in the background with the japanese festival and the same instruments as well so the big taiko drums the small taiko drums uh very high-pitched flutes and intertwined with this is a very menacing orchestral arrangement which comes in sounds very very intimidating but the background rhythm of the these big japanese drums continues undeterred so this pounding rhythm this keep on pushing this continuous push forward this doesn't stop despite this very menacing orchestral piece piece infiltrating this track it's wonderful stuff.
0: This was a, a very strange track or a very strange strange course in that game rather, um, in that uh it was very segmented where all the other levels were, you know, very um kind of encouraged this kind of wider exploration. You can see from one end of the map to the other in a lot of cases and kind of run between everything. How did that strike you? Because to me it felt a bit like a step backwards, but you know, I guess it's just you know, different.
1: Yeah, I guess it's lots of variety. So you have mm-hmm. places like New Junk City, which feel like a playground, or the is it New Fossil F- Falls? The, the yeah, Fossil Falls, right? Yeah, that one. They both feel very much just explore this area, have have a bit of fun. Whereas Bowser's Castle feels more like individual challenges and little islands by itself. I guess with it being a castle, it could have been—it could have very easily been a playground within inside the castle walls. But I think I was just blown away by the theming and everything going on that I didn't really pick up on that.
0: Well, let's go ahead and listen to some of that music from Bowser's Castle, the main courtyard, by Koji Kondo from Super Mario Odyssey. <laughs> Continuing to uh, evolve and impress even so many years later, uh, going back to the familiar with um, some great pixel art, uh, was some of the the loveliest pixel art that I've seen in mm. games. To uh, touch upon that earlier subject, that was really went above and beyond, and it's very dynamic. Um, a lot of uh, a lot of shading, a lot of animation going on. It's um it's quite something to look at. Uh, what is your history with this next game owl boy
1: so i picked up owl boy on the switch when it first came out but i had my eye on it ever since the pc release because it i think now we have got to a place where we can embrace pixel art that isn't nes specific and mm. we've kind of got to a post 16-bit pixel art world so we have pixel art for the modern day so things like uh, shovel knight are wonderful and brilliant. Uh, but things like Owlboy and Hyperlight Drifter don't really feel like part of the past. They feel like something that could only really happen in modern day. So I really like this movement of using Pixlot and but not necessarily being beholden to all the rules of the previous times. And Shovel Knight doesn't really it has lots of little cheats, but it's very much more in the style of an NES game, whereas Owlboy and many games of its like, can be its own thing. One I've played th- played through it, and I really enjoyed the story. It was very touching, and as you said, it's very beautiful. And one thing that's struck me as well, many games with pixel art, they, they have like a chip chiptune soundtrack, but this was a very orchestral, soaring soundtrack. But it's also very delicate and really helps portray the lack of confidence the main character has bubbling underneath, so he can fly, and it's very fun, but not so well. And he doesn't really believe in himself. So, I think it's a very nice soundtrack in that way.
0: Yes, of course. Um, I've uh, I've not had the pleasure to play the game yet. It's mm. sitting there on my backlog. But uh, I remember it receiving a lot of attention around launch. Um, but uh, I a lot of uh mixed player reactions coming out of it. Despite having pretty strong reviews, I remember a lot of people. I from my perception anyways from the outside it seemed like the uh the gameplay was very unusual and uh, maybe not what people were looking for
1: yeah it's it seemed to be one of these games that made a big splash when it first came out and then Mm -hmm. very quickly people kind of stopped talking about it but i really enjoyed the gameplay there was one or two moments that i found a bit frustrating but it was it is a little bit strange because you have to carry people around Mm, which uh but it's not an escort mission it's more like you're carrying people around to use them as guns Mm -hmm. i can see people looking at the game and think it's something different to what they're expecting but i i think it's worth a try uh, worth a try
0: very good let's listen to strato theme by jonathan gear from owlboy One more piece of music to listen to today but before we do that let's um let's direct everyone to the forum at cainlorentz.com slash forum and uh, request your own very favorite piece of video game music we will play it discuss it and um enjoy it immensely on future sounds of play um don't just limit yourself to your favorite uh throw some interesting oddities or particularly bad tracks at us as well anything that is memorable and notable we play a wide gamut over here. You can tweet us at Canon Rinse as well, and uh, you can uh, venture over to our Facebook page for those of you who uh, still do Facebook. <laughs> Let's see, We have uh, many shows on the network now. Uh, we mentioned Canon Rinse before. that is our uh, two-hour podcast focused on one game, where it kind of contextualizes itself in video game history and some of our reactions to it, and some of the things that make it uh, interesting and unique. And that's always fascinating discussion every Monday. And that is a Cane podcast. We have uh, Sound of Play, of course, every Wednesday. We have Playwright every Thursday and the Sausage Factory every Friday. So we are just about filling up your week with podcast content and we intend to keep it coming and we can only do so. It's not true. We would do it anyways, but we enjoy doing so because uh, because we have our uh, our lovely patrons over at patreon.com you can support us patreon.com slash canan for just a one dollar a month or more if you choose to be so generous uh, you get some extra little bits and bobs of course the main podcast and all of the uh, the hard work that the team puts into that is still distributed to everyone freely but um, sometimes you'll get an extended cut through the patreon or um, you'll get uh, a little ban- banter casts with uh leon and jay and just kind of whatever is on their mind what they're playing at the time well i would like to uh to thank craig for joining me today and um why don't you we've been talking about your music throughout the entire podcast why don't you tell people where they can get their hands on it
1: yeah no problem so i'm on soundcloud twitter Bandcamp, youtube if you search windmills at dawn you'll find them uh if you want to Request uh, talk to me about commissions or I think Probably best to g- get hold of me through Twitter. My Bandcamp is where I put my own uh, EPs of game music, which out- hasn't actually been part of games, like game style music rather. Mm-hmm. Uh, soundtrack uh, soundtracks from games I've made. All of that is free, but it is pay what you, what you want. So if you want to pay me fifty fifty dollars, that'd be more than welcome. <laughs> uh, if you want to hear remakes. Uh, I have lots of eight-bit remakes on my YouTube page, and that last track, the Owlboy track, I've done an eight-bit a version of that on my YouTube page. Yeah, come say hello.
0: Very cool. So a uh, SoundCloud as well. I was—I um, heard a long time ago that the SoundCloud service was going under, and it was kind of any day now they were expecting it to yeah. close. But last I checked, it's still there. So is—is is that website okay?
1: <laughs> I don't really know. I. I don't really understand SoundCloud. It, it feels like there are more robots there than people. Which, mm. so I'm hoping those robots enjoy my music. <laughs> I, I don't really know.
0: Yeah, I do get, um, I do get the occasional, uh, occasional message on SoundCloud saying, "Hey, I love your music. Would you like to play yeah. a live show?" And it's like, okay, well, I'm glad that you liked. A little clip of Cain uh, and Rin's podcast that I was editing and <laughs> thought sounded funny, you know, one of uh, Josh's chairs squeaking in a weird way or people saying things in spooky harmony. I mean, kids' music today. I mean, kids I today what they that would listen to one to in a live context, yeah. But uh, you know, I'm, I'm glad that they're they're following their passion. <laughs> um, I I got into SoundClouds, you know, within the last few months. Uh, I' never really paid much attention to the site, but I really started poking around and um, finding there's a a bunch of really great kind of mashup where it's just kind of like a super, super hyper dense uh, mixture of of different tracks and sounds and stuff that are meant to kind of evoke. Just the briefest little moment of recognition of a song, and uh, it's it's interesting to kind of go in between all these things that you'd recognize. And there's a lot of uh, self-referential humor, and that kind of led me down rabbit holes <laughs> just these little like thirty second pieces of music or or noises that people compose. And there's like you know entire kind of meme cultures that that grow off of each other on on SoundCloud. But it's all uh, kind of musical in nature and interesting because it's you know with youtube you can kind of do anything really but yeah. with uh soundcloud you're really confined to a very uh very strict medium which i think breeds a certain kind of creativity that i haven't really seen on the internet since like the days of uh you know worth 1000 photoshop contests mm. and uh ytmnds where you had you know maybe a a looping gif and an mp3 file that you would have to include in the title reload please because there's a um because it synchronizes and it only synchronizes if it starts at the same time and you know it's uh, it's a d- different era of the internet that uh kind of got me nostalgic for i think it's a lot
1: of that's kind of youth culture breeding itself into the internet and a lot of it mm. was kind of it's it's not necessarily rebellious in an explicit way but it's it's making your own group within jokes and adults aren't going to understand. This is something mm-hmm. we do. This is our kind of thing. So I can kind of see that peering on SoundCloud as well. But sometimes those communities, you you can peer in just a little bit. And then if you look too much, you, you're you going to get lost. So you've just got to have a little look and then just close the door <laughs> and run away.
0: Yeah, I love these kinds of like internet, self-referential meme community things that, um, that really play with and do something interesting with the medium. Mm. Uh, of course, I uh, mentioned like, you got that all the time on YTMD. People would yeah. find super creative ways to use the garish zooming text to create these kind of 3D pictures that would play with the picture in the background, or you know they would use the music samples to in in very creative ways that were very specific to that very particular format that was being created. And uh, I felt like the introduction of memes as we kind of currently understand it where there's the photo with the white text at the Mm. top and bottom was almost a medium that overpowered the content that everything felt so interchangeable and there was so little creativity with the format because people were just kind of generating it in meme generators that there wasn't that same kind of sense of like exploration and discovery and malleability and breaking it that was so kind of integral to uh to internet content before that. <laughs> it's essentially,
1: you're, you're shouting at kids today that they don't understand memes.
0: <laughs> well, you know, I was, I'll circle back around that. Uh, uh, I've been impressed, and I don't, you know, spend a ton of time there, but uh, every once in a while I like to kind of uh, hop on TikTok and see what's happening there because, you know, that's a very, um, I guess, hip with the youngsters type of app. And there is, like, that genuine, like experimentation with the format and people using its weird eccentricities and creative ways to create collaborative videos between them. And there's a certain, uh, like aspect ratio of cascading videos that people are able to kind of play with and, and know the very boundaries of, and, um, you know, so there is hope for the next generation (laughs) still.
1: And there's always going to be someone who, who gets given a toy box and doesn't think I'm going to build a house. Think, what mm-hmm. can i do to break these toys and make something new
0: <laughs> i love it that's yeah that's what's really memorable about it you know i'm uh, i'm going to forget every meme i ever saw <laughs> but there's there's something in those really creative uses of a medium that um that feels kind of irre- irreplaceable in a way
1: i think that's very much related to chip tune so lots of people yeah. hear the chip tune like NES sound sound files and think let's push this to the limit let a lot of chip tune being made in nes style today is nothing at all what what sounds like what we had on nes because the tools are better and people there's been 25 years of experiment experimentation and pushing those boundaries and seeing exactly what annoying noises we can make out of those
0: those little chips mm-hmm I think a lot of NES composers, and I don't mean to uh, shoehorn an entire generation of talented musicians, but I think a lot of them felt kind of beholden to uh, the traditions of their classical training Uh, or creating tunes, you know, something that emulated filmic scores or or music in a traditional sense. Whereas, you know, since electronic music has evolved so much since the chiptune days, artificiality of chiptune isn't something that composers are trying to uh to distance themselves from yeah. or kind of embarrassedly push away anymore and so you get these like awesome like kind of glitch wave uh yeah, um, exactly. mixes that really kind of embraces the full kind of, digital artificiality of the the genre and, and really loves and respects that aspect of it
1: yeah i mean i th- i think it was sound of uh, a recent sound of play someone was talking about how uh, it was an old g- you could see these old uh, manuals for an old computer about creating music, and it had tutorials to make a flute sound and a violin yeah. sound. <laughs> and it doesn't sound like a flute. It sounds like a computer. And I think, as you say, originally people were trying to make classical music on computers, where now pe- people are trying to make things that sound that use those sounds. And people
0: try to make computer music on real instruments now. Exactly,
1: Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's became its own
0: thing, which is a good thing. Absolutely. Uh, do you feel like, I mean, obviously you have the choice of any number of, uh, musical outlets at your disposal. Um, you could, you know, just as easily hop into a fruity loops or something and and use something that has more kind of a naturalistic instrumental sound. And you choose to, uh, to work with, um, chip tune, uh, sounding instruments. What, what is the, uh, what is the appeal to you beyond nostalgia? Is there something about the the sound that really kind of like hooks you?
1: Yeah, so I mean, recently I've been working more in fruity loops. I haven't released much of it, but I've been working behind mm. the scenes and some of it I've been making HD versions of my own songs. So like, I've been re I've been orchestrating songs I've made in chip tune, and one thing about chip tune is it's very direct. So mm. the there's not much going on so your attention is it's laser point pinpointed on what is happening because like on the melody because it's there's nothing to get lost in there but i also find that if i'm given the whole orchestra to use i end up playing with the whole orchestra and kind of get lost mm. of the melody and the structure so right right now chip tune is a very good way of keeping me focused and i would like to do more expansive pieces or even just piano based pieces uh, but um, but I think chip tune for me is a very good way of keeping me focused and then maybe after that I will recreate that kind of sound and ext- extentuate accentuate the flourishes with with other uh, with other sounds in free loops uh when I later compose but I think it's a very good way of keeping me focused and keeping me. Mm. What is important? What do I want the listener to listen to right now? What do I want them to feel? What came before that? How can I change that? How can I make that contrast sound bigger? How can I make it tra- sound smaller? And if there's only four or five variables, I need to focus and think what I can change. Whereas if if I use Fruity Loops, there's millions of things I can do.
0: Yeah. I mean, they always say that uh, necessity is the mother of invention, and when you only have anywhere between you know three and six audio tracks to work with um and all of those you have to choose between maybe three or four shapes of waves mm, yeah <laughs> you really have to find uh you know very creative ways to stretch that into a unique sound especially when people have been composing chiptune music for uh you know 25 years well anyways let's um let's close out today with a, another piece from the Kick Blips album, uh, why don't you uh, introduce another very, uh, uh, very memorable song from the Tony Hawk games?
1: Yep. So, well, actually, before I do this, uh, I don't think I've mentioned yet, but I, w- one of my tracks is also on Kick Blips. and uh, <laughs> there we go. I'm great at this PR stuff, <laughs> and <laughs> so I covered "Psycho Vision" by Suicidal Tendencies. And there was a few tracks that I had considered, uh, but some of them were taken. And listening to the tracks, uh, this was the one I thought was best fit of the limited channels. And it's kind of chip punk almost, which is very nice. So uh, go to Blitz, listen to that. That's, I really enjoyed making that. One of the other songs I was considering was uh, the Primus one, Jerry was a race car driver. Oh, yeah, yeah. Which is a great song, but just following following along with just the bass line and then the vocals which kind of move but kind of don't i thought this is going to sound a bit of a mess if i just <laughs> if i try to recreate this
0: it would be a difficult one it's kind of a uh kind of a talky singy song yeah it's
1: so the vocals which you kind of usually focus in on don't really go very very yeah. many places which it's fine in the, with Primus singing it but if it's just a computer generated wave you don't have the difference lyrics or things it's not going to be that interesting mm. but also famously the primus bass lines are very uh, they're they're moving uh so it's very difficult to track mm. but this next track this is when worlds collide by three x blast and donut shoes who created the kick lift project uh, originally by Powerman 5000 and this was from tony hawk's pro skater 2 so all these tracks are from the first four uh tony hawk's games which uh that was decided because those were the ones that people have the most nostalgia for, for. So as you were saying, there were there were many offshoots after that. But I think those first four games people really clicked with. Yeah. This song, I really enjoy it because it's very... And this version is very grimy and ugly, but it embraces that ugliness. And I, th- mm. I think it might turn a few people off, but I like that crunchy, detuned sound. It, it's kind of like Tom Waits. So people yeah people many people say tom wicks can't sing i'm not going to disagree i love it i love his voice and i'm not going to say someone is wrong for not lo- loving his voice but it's a very it's a very ugly sound but it's not afraid mm. to be ugly
0: i was just uh showing my partner uh, what's he building for the first time today and <laughs> she seemed completely uninterested i'm like how is this not entirely fascinating and to what you what is he building Anyways, that's a, another discussion for another day. Um I do like I think there is a certain to get into video game music. You have to have a certain love of ugliness in a way because you know it's not a it's not a beautiful sound. It is harsh and it is tinny and it is scratchy, but there's that's kind of like that's kind of the appeal.
1: Yeah, I, mean, I would agree but I also disagree in that I think this sh- sound of play is a testament to how wide and varied video game music is. So
0: no, yeah, that's true. That's I was. Um, it's more referring to like kind of chip music in general, yeah. Yeah. In that, uh, you know, those those tones are not something that are uh, representative of something in nature. And I think there's almost kind of like an evolutionary an evolutionary aversion, but in a way that isn't. You know, not as a negative thing. I think there's kind of an interesting, interesting ugliness to it.
1: (laughs) Yeah, definitely. And I think if you're talking about evolution, a lot of these sounds were created to draw our attention. So if you think of arcade Mm. games, if you went into an arcade back in the day, uh, or even today in game centers in Japan, they are noisy, and you have lots of lots of different machines vying for your attention. So you have to have not the loudest, but the most ear-catching sounds. Mm. And I think a lot of work was put into making these sounds not just appeal to people, but make people pay attention, which I think a part of that is directness as well.
0: Yeah, that's, that's an interesting way of putting it as well. There's um, you know, almost like the, the siren that blares out in the middle of the night that people can hear from all over the city. It's the uh, same kind of sound almost, but uh, can't get enough of it. <laughs> I like it. And there's a lot of diversity into it, as we will hear with uh, this final track, originally from Tony Hawk's Pro Skater 2 and from the Kick Blips album, uh, which is available, which you can find, or you can even play yourself on Itch.io. Uh, this is When Worlds Collide by 3X Blast and Donut Shoes. <laughs>